All right, here we go. The Iowa's re- fuck that. I'm going to start again. Oh, I'd keep that. I'd keep the fuck that. The Iowa results are in, but what does it actually mean for the presidential campaign? I'm Matt Robeson, Balance of Power Roundtable. Paul Hodes, former U.S. Congressman, Alicia Preston, our conservative commentator, analyst, and political consultant. Let's dive right into it. First of all, I'll say that the most notable political milestone that we're all marking is Alicia Preston's birthday. Happy birthday, Alicia. Happy Yay. birthday Thank to you. you. And because of that, listeners may notice that Alicia is, she's elsewhere. You actually don't, even though you're a political professional and obsessive, you don't build your entire life around the political calendar. So you are off-site. You're at an undisclosed location. You're joining us by phone, of all things. And we're not even going to get to keep you for the whole show. So I'm going to turn to you first. Alicia, what was your immediate impression your thoughtful immediate impression of the Iowa caucus results. I don't think there's any surprise. I mean, Donald Trump was going to win that. We could have predicted that two months ago. But I think there's a couple interesting things to note. But look, it's like the polls, right? Caucuses are very different than primaries. And see next week in New Hampshire will be much more telling. But the caucus goers are the diehards. And those have always been the same people that are weighing in on the polls. That's not the same as what the Republican Party as a whole seems to think. Then you add to it, they were dealing with, what, 40, negative 40 wind chill? How many people are going to go to these caucuses? The diehards, the, wanna, the people that want to scream from the mountaintops who they support. That's a very narrow por- portion of the Republican Party. And yet Donald Trump, who is running with the glory of incumbency, because he may not be president now, but he has that power because he was, still has 50% of the Republican Party that doesn't want him back. That, to me, is what everyone is forgetting in this storyline. 50% of Republicans, diehards, don't want him to be president again. And I think that's the narrative coming out of Iowa. I am so glad you said that, Alicia. I'm literally, I was a minute late to join our recording here because I'm in the middle of typing that up. I'm hoping that an editor somewhere will take me up on writing that exact point. I, Paul, before you jump in, I, I, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills here. So here are the leads, the the lead headlines. Politico, Trump scores an early knockout. New York Times, Trump scores record win in Iowa. DeSantis finishes a distant second. WAPO, that's Washington Post, Trump scores decisive win in Iowa caucuses. Wall Street Journal, having conquered Iowa, Trump sets sights on New Hampshire. AP, Trump notches a commanding win. What? What are we talking about, Alicia? Yes to everything you just said. Half of Iowa caucus goers said, no, thank you. They said we would be interested in someone else and not just someone else, sort of a poop platter of alternatives of like, you can have the crab Rangoon or you can have the um, spicy wings. None of these things are great. There are no spicy wings there. I mean, it's all, it's either Trump sycophants or or Trump light, or uh, I'll go with abortion. There's there's not much going on. And I know Alicia is very fond of Nikki Haley and thinks she's going to do great in the New Hampshire primary. And it may be that even though she did not come in second by a couple of points to Rhonda Sanctimonious, it may be that she's going to do better in New Hampshire and she's going to do better in South Carolina. And you guys have hit it, ha- have hit it right on the head. The headlines are disconnected from the reality. As Alicia said at the top of the show, the most ardent, the most passionate 
Republicans in very conservative Iowa came out to vote in in crazy weather conditions. And half of them said no thank you to Donald Trump. Now, if Alicia is right, and there is some other Republican Party beyond the cult crazies, beyond the, frankly, two-thirds of Iowa Republican caucus goers who think that Joe Biden isn't really the president. If there is some other Republican Party out there, Nikki Haley could do something pretty profound in New Hampshire. Just before I wheel it back to you, Alicia, I want to point out, Paul, what you just said. That was a finding from entrance polling that they did literally as people are walking into these caucuses. And they found, I think it was 68 percent believe that Joe Biden was not legitimately elected president. And I think that figure just underscores Alicia's point even more, because as you said, Paul, these are the most base of the MAGA base. And these are people who, in their minds, think of Donald Trump as the incumbent president. He could only win half of them. The other thing I'll point out, just while we're throwing numbers out there, is there are 2,083,000 registered voters in Iowa. 718,000 of them are registered Republicans. Of that 700,000 or so, only 100,000, 102,000 showed up to vote in Iowa. Right. And I'm not going to overcook, to mix weather metaphors, the weather in Iowa last night. It's cold, but Iowa people will tell you it's like, eh, you know, not that big a deal. Only 14% of registered Republicans saw fit to show up, were so motivated that they wanted to show up, and only half of those were motivated to show up for Donald Trump. This was an astoundingly weak performance. And my point is that the media headlines, I can't believe it. I, you guys were making fun of me last week for finding common cause with Sarah Palin with the lamestream media. media. I got to say, politics makes strange bedfellows, and I am waking up and looking over and and Sarah Palin's starting to look. Uh, I'm going to drop that <laughs> metaphor now, but I mean, Alicia, you must be feeling Don't let like yourself be on record with that. Yeah, I'm. Uh, yeah, I'm getting myself into trouble here. I, I mean, Alicia, you must be feeling like validated here. Like we're all with you. I'm sitting here going, I don't remember the last thing all three of us agreed on that was political. And here we are. And I agree with you. I got up and read the headlines this morning too, and I'm like, what are they talking about? This is an epic fail. 50% of the diehards of your party want someone else. How is this a victory lap? And shame on the media for how they're spinning it. They want Donald Trump. They need Donald Trump. It sells. It's good for them. I'm starting to be one of the conspiracy theorists like you and Matt have turned into that believes that there's <laughs> this, this big narrative that the media is driving Donald Trump because they want him there. Let me throw another interesting number at you guys. Again, from these entrance polls, and let's not dismiss these entrance polls. I mean, look, the media feels that they're strong enough, these entrance polls, to call the race 30 minutes after the caucuses open and before most of them have even conducted votes. So apparently they feel that these are statistically significant. So one of these entrance polls finds that 64% say that Trump is fit to be president if convicted. And the way it's written up in the ABC News story, they actually gave the number slightly differently. Maybe they found it. They say by a split of 63% to 32%, respondents to the entrance poll say they consider him fit for office despite a conviction. 
This is a case of lost in non-translation. Hello, numbnutses. Do you realize that by the same math, one-third of the most MAGA of MAGAists to ever MAGA down the pike are saying, we would abandon Trump if he gets convicted of any of the 91 counts he's indicted under. One-third of the most MAGA people are saying, we are one conviction away from abandoning him from his already anemic turnout performance. I, again, I am I taking crazy pills here? Am I the only one? No, you're actually being analytical, which is what we need more of in this country, because here's the problem, though. And I got my TV on in the background, and they've got that poll up right now. And this is swaying voters to let them think this is a fait accompli, which it is not. And that's the danger with all these headlines, is that people... Regular voters, most people don't get on a, you know, Zoom once a week and talk politics and dig into the numbers like we do. It is driving this narrative that Trump is a fait accompli and it's going to keep people home. And shame on the media for doing that because they actually know better. They know what's actually going on here. And they're leaving it aside. Like you said, one third of Trump's devotees would abandon him. And yet the headline is, wow, 65 percent still support him even if he's convicted of a crime. That's not the story. They're not telling the story. Commanding lead, commanding victory, decisive victory. Paul, part of the reason, and by the way, Alicia, in the interim there, I am going to be writing this up, this exact point in Newsweek. So folks, do us a favor, check that out. I'll, I'll put it right into the show notes. We'll see what goes up first, the show or the Newsweek article. Paul, part of the reason that I think this matters is, and I want to turn to New Hampshire, is that there is this perception that the New Hampshire primary is all quaint town halls and small diner gatherings and angry dairy farmers telling you that they can't get by because of the price of milk. And all of those things are true, by the way. We've found that in your own races. That is true. When you run for Congress or U.S. Senate, you do a lot of that kind of thing. And you were a major surrogate. You appeared on behalf of Barack Obama as because you were his national co-chair, a major endorser in his 2008 campaign. And we did a lot of that thing. But here's my point. That is kind of a Potemkin village approach to campaigning. Because sure, you want to do retail politics. Sure, you really want to convince those five voters that you're sitting in the diner with. You don't really care that much about those five voters. What you really care about is you're trying to drag along someone from the Nashua Telegraph, from the Concord Monitor, from the Manchester Union leader. You're trying to get media coverage of all of this because you want to reach 50,000 voters, 100,000 voters. You care about the media shaping of this. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. To a great extent, the New Hampshire primary. It's not meaningless at all, as the DNC says, but it is, it becomes Hollywood East. It is a perfect set for the photography, the cameras, the media, the sound recordings, the amplification of what appears to be the quaintness of New Hampshire. It is the perfect backdrop to amplify a message when the candidates are in the coffee shop talking to the four people in the booth and disturbing their breakfast. It's not because they give 
two shits about the people who are eating their breakfast, but they are playing for the cameras that are surrounding them. What you don't see, you see the four people trying to eat their omelets with the candidate, but what you don't see is this scrum of television that it's a Hollywood set. And and it's that amplification that makes the points we were making earlier so important. The fact that the media has the Donald Trump defeat in Iowa so wrong that they're calling it a landslide victory when 50,000 Iowans are lukewarm about Donald Trump. That is no great victory. It's no great endorsement for Donald Trump. And We'll see how New Hampshire media plays it. Alicia, let's allow ourselves and our listeners to do a little fantasy campaign manager exercise here. You've got a week. You're sitting in Nikki Haley headquarters. You've actually been in this position in Republican presidential primaries, and we've been in this position in other kinds of campaigns in New Hampshire. Let's stipulate that the media is going to skew all of this, but... As much as they kind of want Donald Trump, they also kind of want a long nomination contest, right? You could interest them in, ooh, drama. There's a showdown. There's a slog. There's more to cover. So maybe they do have a vested interest in a Nikki Haley victory in New Hampshire. What do you need to do? What are your priorities in this coming week? What's your mission as, as you talk to your communications team in Nikki Haley headquarters? I'm having Nikki Haley stay on message, not address Iowa. I'm having her do what she's been doing for about the last month, six weeks, which is talking about her policies and time for lack of chaos. I'm taking Governor Kristen Inouye of New Hampshire. I'm putting him at the head of every single town hall she gives and on every local and national network and newspaper that'll take him to point out what we're talking about. Because someone's got to point it out and it shouldn't be Nikki Haley. And Kristen Inouye gets listened to and he gets headlines. I'm having Kristen Inouye get out there for the Nikki Haley campaign to say, guys, 50% of diehard Republicans don't want Donald Trump in Iowa. That's indicative. Don't stay home. Get out and vote. We know we're the majority. Because someone's got to deliver that message so that people don't stay home because they think, ah, it's going to be Donald Trump. Who cares? It's got to be a motivation. Get out. Go to the polls next Tuesday, January 23rd. And that's how I would handle that strategy. You've got to have a surrogate say it so it doesn't look like Nikki Haley's begging. But Snooze can deliver that message. Are you trying to downplay expectations? No. Because Nikki Haley can come in. I'm not. I think you would say hype it up. She doesn't have to win New Hampshire. She has to get really close to Donald Trump. She can come in second. But DeSantis is still in this race. Oh, can we also, moment aside, can we all celebrate that we're done with Vivek Ramaswamy? He dropped out. The (laughs) troll has gone. He's left the building. I'm very excited about that, by the way. I (laughs) mentally dispensed with him a long time ago, but sure, that's true. Hey, I know you've got to get out of here because there are more important things. We've joked about what a fangirl you are of Chris Sununu, and I kind of want to give you an opportunity, understanding that you're going to flack for him a little bit. I get it. But I do want to give you an opportunity to address something that's happened in the last week, which is Chris Sununu, despite being an outspoken critic of Donald Trump, and endorsing Nikki Haley and going to work for Nikki Haley, said on CNN that if Donald Trump ended up being the nominee, he would still vote for him, which Democrats like me and Paul found shocking, disappointing, disgusting. 
But I kind of tried to engage my political analyst brain on this a little bit. And I have a theory to run by you before I let you go, which is Chris Sununu maybe doing that because otherwise his endorsement and his advocacy would be dismissed in Republican circles as coming from a rhino? Like, is that sort of the price of entry for him to maintain legitimacy with Republicans to say this otherwise venal, disappointing thing? So, okay, I do not support what he said, and I do not support the idea of Republicans have to support Donald Trump if he's a nominee, no matter what. I've never endorsed that. I've never been part of that. And I, too, will admit I was disappointed he said that. That being said, Chris Nunu is very good at political strategy. Strategically, he's very wise. And he loves America and wants someone other than Donald Trump to be on that November ballot. And so he took a political calculation. I'm not sure I agree with it. But he took a political calculation. That's what he needed to say in answer to that question. And I think that's all that was. And do I agree with it? I don't agree with the sentiment, number one. I'm not sure I agree with the strategy either, but I think that's what that was about. And I'd like us to get away from when it comes to the important stuff. Look, politicians are going to politics, right? That's what they do. But there are some things that are more important than that. I think the idea of the demolition of democracy would be one of them. And I'd like us to get away from the politics of those kind of moments. But it happens. It gets asked. It's a tough question for a Republican to answer right now. And I think that's all it was. I am with you. I don't get I appreciate that answer because I don't give him a pass on that morally. And I think you're right to put it that the strategy is possibly wrong. And if he were doing it just for self-interest, I would consider it venal. But I'm going to allow for the possibility that it was a strategic calculation and that he was doing it with the best interests of I've got to maintain my juice to try to defeat Donald Trump, I'm going, I, I, I'll, I'll give him this one. I'll give him this one for now. I, hey, Alicia, we got to get you out of here. You've got to go. Paul and I are going to keep going. Happy birthday. And uh, we'll- We're just going to talk about you when you're gone. So have a happy- No, but she's going to get to hear it. I'm going ha- to hear this. Just remember, I listened to our podcast. And today, by the way, it's not just a birthday. Today, I hit the half century mark. So I've got to go celebrate. This wow. is a big one. Alicia, do you yeah. realize that you are almost exactly two months older than I am to the day? Wow. Oh, you're a puppy. Oh, I you, am. Oh, yes. Oh, a babe young, in the woods. You young exactly. people. You young, <laughs> naive people. Uh, all right, Alicia. Enjoy it. Have we'll a great time, week. guys. And don't forget, I will be listening to the podcast. All right. Yeah. So look, all- now, now that she's gone, wait a second. Let me just weigh in. You know, I mean, look. We kid Alicia a lot. Alicia is what I have sometimes fondly called a Republican of conscience. Uh, she is she's an old fashioned New Hampshire conservative person who whose views these days really might be considered moderate. She is vehemently anti-Trump, vehemently pro-democracy, a true, you know, a, a real a patriot in the old sense, and somebody with whom you can talk about policy and agree to disagree without being disagreeable. And that characterizes a kind of old-fashioned politics that now feels very retro. But she still is a Republican, and she hasn't abandoned her party. So for Chris Sununu, he's a Republican. 
And he's been a Republican his whole life. His family has been Republicans as long as Methuselah's beard. And he's got to keep his powder dry for the rest of his political career, which he's calculating he'd like to be a significant uh, political career, no doubt. So it's not surprising to me that he says, yes, I'll ha I'd have to support the party's nominee, because that's essentially what he's saying. He loses his juice. And I, again, I, you're right. There's some self-interest here. There's his future political career to consider. I'm just willing to give at least partial credit for the idea of he's doing some reputation and political heft management. And that's probably the way he has to answer it. It's just such a contrast. We had Michael Gerhardt, the preeminent scholar, worldwide expert on the American impeachment process on the show a week ago. And we were recalling the Watergate impeachment process, which never really got there because the senior Republicans in the U.S. Senate went to Richard Nixon and said, you don't have the votes and I'm not going to stand with you either. It was an internal push over the cliff. You just don't see that kind of thing today. What you see is, by contrast, governors like Chris Sununu saying, yeah, I'd still vote for him if he were convicted of a felony. But the point still matters that a third of Iowa Republican caucus goers are not saying the same thing. Yeah. And that is really significant. Let's turn to a little bit of a preview. This is sort of the pivot point. It's where, if there's going to be any kind of a last ditch stand against Trump inside the Republican Party, it's going to have to happen. There is no scenario where Haley loses by, you know, five or 10 points and somehow mounts a comeback and takes the nomination. There's no scenario where Trump loses this nomination. It's still a very low probability thing. But if there's any chance of it, Haley's got to come in functionally tied, it seems, in New Hampshire. Now, again, I'm saying that because I'm recognizing that's what the media narrative is going to become. <laughs> it is what it is, right? Let's take a break. We'll be right back. So let's talk a little bit about... Well yeah, New Hampshire a, a, a couple of things. Look, first of all, remember, in New Hampshire, let's just call it 40% of the electorate are independents. In the New Hampshire primary, independents can pull um, a ballot from either party. So you have roughly 70% of the New Hampshire electorate available to vote in the Republican primary here. You've got uh, a history in New Hampshire of ec eccentric, independent libertarianism, where voters in New Hampshire look at Iowa and shrug and say, OK, look, that's a caucus in a gym and people get up and they jaw and then they switch their votes. But we do it right. We vote here. We go into a closed booth and we vote. This is a real primary. And for the Republicans, Haley still has momentum. And I don't think that the Iowa results diminish her momentum in New Hampshire. I think that she very wisely went up in Iowa saying, look, this is a two-person race. Nobody but me has the juice in New Hampshire and South Carolina. That's how she phrased it. I would like to think 
that without the evangelical component, which really is at play in a big way in Iowa, where they are much more evangelically disposed than secular New Hampshire, Haley has a chance to continue her momentum. And you're going to just see a frenzied Sununu Haley campaign over the next week. And she could get really close. Here's how I see things shaking up as of today. Haley has risen. She's doubled her vote share in the last two months. The CNN University of New Hampshire poll from last week showed Trump with a 39-32 lead over Haley. It also showed that two-thirds of Chris Christie voters would go to Haley, and he has since dropped out. And so there is a good chance that she has picked up about eight points. None of Christie's voters, 0% in that poll, were going to go to Trump. And so as of today, if you accept those results, it is probably pretty close to a statistical tie in New Hampshire. Now, there are other polls, including our friends at St. Anselm's. We've had Neil Levesque, the executive director who oversees that poll, on this show many times to talk about their polling results. This week, we're going to do a little bit of a curveball. We're going to have the uh, head of that CNN poll on this show. We're going to have Andy Smith to talk about his polling results and what he sees. But the difference in these polls, you know, in St. A's, they show a 14-point gap. CNN, it was a seven-point gap. They show the same kind of second-choice second dynamic. The difference in these polls is what assumption are they making about how many registered Republicans show up versus how many undeclared, i.e. independent voters show up? That is the wild card. That's what everything is going to hinge on here. Because you're right, Paul, in that CNN poll, Trump leads 58 to 21 among registered Republicans over Nikki Haley. But Haley is ahead 43 to 13 among undeclared voters who are likely Republican primary voters. So everything is going to come down to what is the mix of voters that actually shows up. The thing that's fizzled a little bit is the idea that Democrats might switch their registration to undeclared in order to be able to vote in the Republican primary for someone like Nikki Haley. Only 4,000 Democrats changed their registration as of the deadline. So that doesn't look like it's going to be a significant factor. That's really it. It's how many voters from the undeclared column decide to show up. And you're going to continue to see different poll results this week. And I will just predict for you that the difference between them is going to come down to what assumptions are they making about that mix of registered Republicans versus undeclared? Final thing I'll say is that in that CNN UNH poll, 9% of likely Republican voters were still undecided. I agree with you that the Iowa result is likely not going to be dispositive there. I don't think there is really such a thing as Iowa carryover momentum. Historically, that has certainly not been the case. And in fact, just to cite one historical example, in 1988, George H.W. Bush lost in Iowa. He flew to New Hampshire, and a popular Republican governor named Sununu endorsed him, walked around the state with him, and helped him win the New Hampshire primary. In 2024, 
Nikki Haley will have lost the Iowa caucuses, flew to New Hampshire, is going to travel around the state with a popular Republican governor named Sununu, the Sununu's son, and she's hoping to have the exact same result. And I think it's within the realm of possibility. So now let me turn your considerable brilliance and attention to the what the DNC has called the meaningless Democratic primary in New Hampshire. So is it truly meaningless? You've always thought it's meaningless. But in this year, when Biden is headed to be the nominee no matter what, is there still danger for Biden in the New Hampshire primary with Dean Phillips putting out, you know, putting ads, a lot of ads on television about don't bother to write in. Why are you writing him in when what we really need is a changing of the guard? I mean, what happens if the write in vote for Biden doesn't work? What is it? What happens then? Does it become meaningful? Let me sound Clintonian about this, when he said it depends on what the meaning of is. And I would say to you, it depends on what the meaning of doesn't work is. And in fact, I would go further to the beginning of our conversation to say, it depends on what the media decides the meaning <laughs> of doesn't work is. Because we just saw a result in Iowa where, for all intents and purposes, the man who 68% of Republicans think is the legitimate president only managed to muster half of the vote in Iowa. And the actual incumbent sitting president, if this had been Joe Biden, thought experiment, if this had been Joe Biden in Iowa and Joe Biden had only gotten 50%, what would the headlines have said? Yeah, so much for the liberal media bias. Hmm. What a bunch of, what a crock, this idea that there's a liberal media bias. Think of what the headlines would have been if that were Joe Biden. So extend that to New Hampshire. What is the dividing line where the media will try to take pot shots at a story of, oh, let's take a crack at Joe Biden reveals weakness in anemic New Hampshire results or some crap like that. I don't know. What's that number? Like mm -hmm. he gets 60%. Mm -hmm. It's probably around that, right? Like current polling shows that he's probably at about the 69, 70% level, you know, I, I think it's meaningless. I, I always thought it was meaningless. I don't think it matters. As you said, he's going to be the nominee. As much as Trump is almost certainly going to be the nominee, Joe Biden is definitely going to be the nominee. If he is alive, if he is sitting in office, he's going to be the nominee. And I think the media is going to quickly tire of the, ooh, could Dean Phillips do this story? Because he can't. So I'd say zero drama. Do you disagree? You're one of the leaders. No, no, no. I agree with you. I think I think Biden is probably, you know, I'm, I'm here. If I put my Karnak Johnny Carson hat on and my turban, I would say he's probably 75% in the New Hampshire primary. I think he's going to do okay. I know the write-in effort has been hard at work and going strong. And I think Democrats are okay with swallowing their pride about what the DNC and Biden have done to us with the primary, swallowing the pride and uh, doing what's best for the country. Yeah. That's where I think Democrats are. Yes, it's truly history's greatest tragedy. I want to just turn very quickly to why does all this matter? Because we've both agreed, Alicia agreed, that Trump's Alicia's still in a little bit of a ruby red glasses view of like, maybe Trump will lose, maybe Haley will win. And mm -hmm. let me just say, that I think you and I are sufficient patriots 
we put country above party enough that we would both prefer that Nikki Haley get the Republican nomination, even though we know she's, that she's a, better a stronger candidate, candidate against mm-hmm. Joe Biden, right. more likely to be president. We are willing to accept a Nikki Haley presidency because we're so afraid that if Donald Trump returned to office would end the country as we know it. So there you go. Let's just talk about why I think I why I think this matters and why what I think the biggest takeaway out of Iowa is. I when I asked Alicia earlier, what are you saying inside Nikki Haley headquarters? The one thing I didn't hear from her, and this wasn't exactly my question, so I understand, is what has the strategy become at this point? And I'd like to suggest that the strategy is about survival. She needs to do well enough in New Hampshire to get an infusion of donor money to make it through the next month to Super Tuesday in reasonable shape. That's it. That's the whole ball game. She needs to come out of New Hampshire legit with a tie or a win. That's what gets you the donor cash. Already Ron DeSantis with his second place finish in Iowa and his crowing at his election night speech about, we punched the ticket out of Iowa. Okay, the donors are saying something different because his cash reserves are drying up and he's probably going to end up dropping out within the next week. Who knows? By the time this airs, you know, he may already be out. That's Nikki Haley's ballgame because what's going to start to matter next is the calendar. And this year, it's two calendars. It's not just the Nevada, for various reasons, doesn't count that much this year. It's not just the South Carolina primary coming up next, followed by Super Tuesday, on which there are 15 states and a massive amount. In March, two-thirds of all the delegates are assigned. Right. It's that the legal calendar starts getting in earnest, starts getting going in March. And so what you have, if you're Nikki Haley, is a pathway that depends upon her being a real, legitimate alternative and Donald Trump starting to face a lot of headlines about his legal trials and maybe starting to lose some of them and maybe starting to bleed some of that support from those Republicans who are telling pollsters, yes, if he's convicted, I'll abandon him. So to me, that's the whole ballgame at this point. And remember, starting today as we're recording this, Donald Trump is in court in New York because he's going to be assessed more huge damages for defaming E. Jean Carroll, who already has her liability ruling. And now it's how much more is he going to pay her for his continual defamation? It's a small thing in the troubles and trials of Donald Trump. But as you say, it's the beginning of a never-ending parade of legal problems for him from now till the cows come home. And, you know, so he's going to be, those headlines are going to be given as much prominence uh, as the political headlines. It's going to be uh, convictions and trials and convictions. Maybe he'll win some of these, maybe not. And when the rubber meets the road and the Republicans have to consider whether they really, truly want a felon for president, a convicted felon for president, as you say, Nikki Haley has to keep her head above water. At a certain point, also, it becomes a delegate race, right? And so it's 
she can end up too far behind right. to make up the gap. And she's not going to win a convention fight probably either. And so, you know, she has to stay viable. She has to pull in enough delegates so there's still a chance. So she still feels like a viable alternative as the slog continues into the spring. I'm not saying it's a high probability, but if she wants to have a chance, that's what it looks like. The if she long truly, and oh gosh, winding road. If she's not just running to be Trump's VP, then yeah. that's what the scenario looks like. All right, we got to wrap it up there. We've got much more coming this week. You and I are doing a bunch of shows on other people's shows. We're doing more shows with us. So hopefully people will stick with us. Happy birthday to Alicia in Obsession, and we will see you all next week. <laughs>